Darkly Splendid Abodes, the official podcast of Toronto Thelema, exploring, if you will, practical philosophy, from science and the workings of the mind to spirituality, esotericism, and magic. Stooping down, dipping my wings, I came into the darkly splendid abodes. Today I'll be talking with Edward Mason. He's been an initiate of the Thelemic Mysteries since 1995, and in 2012 he became a co-founder and the warden of the Temple of Our Lady of the Stars. He stepped down from this position in 2022, but remains a member of the Temple of the Silver Star, which now has a Toronto branch, the Circle of Stars Proneos. This is one of a number of talks I'll be having with Edward. Do what thou wilt shall be the whole of the law. Thank you for uh, joining me, Edward. Love is the law. Love under will. Glad to be here. Yeah, so I'm uh, glad to be talking about today's topic. This is our first inaugural podcast episode here today, actually, as a matter of fact, and uh, appropriately enough on a Friday the 13th. Um, and, uh, today we were going to talk about a little bit about, uh, mental illness and mental health, I imagine, generally as it pertains In the to... context of occultism generally, yes. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's an, a really important topic that, um, I mean, it comes up from time to time, but a little bit, it's like, I feel like it tends to be skirted a little bit and, uh, uh, downplayed to some extent. But I think I think we all, all of us involved in esoteric studies and magic and uh, um, shouting things at the wall and whatnot uh, are uh, you know we have to be careful about where our mental state is at all times and from time to time check in with that. Well, definitely. I mean, any ma- magical training involves mental discipline. The mind is the thing you're going to be using, so it needs to be capable of controlling itself in a reasonable way as opposed to a heavily repressive one and also be able to respond when weird stuff happens and of course if you're getting into magic the thing you're after is weird stuff which will in turn wreck your own uh, mental equilibrium from time to time so you fear through your own mind i think is the key skill that any occultist has to develop I think, uh, as you're sort of pointing to, success can often be the uh, uh, the trigger for some of the problems that we run into. Well, the entire system, and I am talking here in the context of uh, a formally organized system within a uh, properly constituted mystery school. Solo work is a different field that's too hard to generalize on. But... Um, the initial training is very much just about that, developing concentration, recognizing that the mind is very rebellious at the idea of going calm, still, and empty, and learning to develop the skills that come from dealing with the mind's constant rebellion. Mm-hmm. Now, there's also the fact that well, the more I thought about the topic of mental illness, two key factors came up for me. One is if you're somebody who's had odd experiences, maybe 
visions, even if they're internal visions, or you've just generally had weird stuff coming to you. You're already out there on the outsider part of the human spectrum and having to deal with the fact that your parents are a little concerned that you're weird, your friends or your girlfriend might also be concerned that you're a little weird, and you yourself have questioned, am I nuts or is this valid stuff? One reason I think people join esoteric groups is just to do some reality testing. Are the people that I go to hang out with nut jobs or have they got a valid way of looking at all of this? So there's that to deal with. The other, of course, is the extreme case with people who are dealing in their lives with some kind of intense difficulty. And they hope that magical training will be like a quick fix type of psychotherapy that doesn't involve a lot of tedious going over upbringing and natural responses, you know, as you would do in a, a therapy room with a, a trained therapist. Now, I wonder if, if people who are coming with that in mind, um, maybe they're, maybe it's common enough where somebody's uh, looking for validation for some of their, um, some of the manifestations of their mental illness. So if they have voices, for instance, just as a simple example, like auditory hallucinations, um, something to validate that or something to validate the sense of their self-importance, that's a super common one when it comes to occult studies. Yeah, the self-importance is definitely a problem to overcome because essentially in any form of esoteric work, you're going to recognize that the personal self is just one component of the total psyche that's doing all of this. So it's going to have, you're going to have to change your relationship to that personal self and the self-importance. You know, you've you built that up as a, a defensive measure, as a way of dealing with the world, as a way of keeping at bay all kinds of stuff that was not comfortable when you were young. Dropping it all is not easy because there are deep grooves in the mind for that. Whether people are able to make the adaptation depends a lot on how much willpower they're willing to, to bring to the task and the patience they're willing to. It seems like uh, the first step is to uh, possibly change their attitude towards the function of that group that they're getting involved with right from the outset, because they may be coming in with a mistaken impression of what, what it's all about. I think most people do. Um, we all join these groups thinking it's going to be a certain way, and then you find that no, every group has its own atmosphere, its own uh, group mind, its own society. It's, you know, it's a small society within, within the greater society. Adaptability is a key thing, therefore. You know, you're going to have to say, oh, okay, it's not quite the assembly of super beings that I was hoping for. If you stay the course, it's usually because you realize everyone else in that group is also trying to deal with the oddity of human life in a very strange and troubling time. Mm -hmm. It seems like it's a, a group of people who are equals who are all each helping each other out, and some of them may happen to have more experience and, and, and that sort of thing that they can bring to the table and aid others with, but it's more about facilitation rather than 
um, you know, the guru kind of thing that t people tend to fall into. One thing I think Alistair Crowley understood very clearly that many people don't associate with occultism is that a sense of humor is absolutely essential for your own sanity. It's not that we all get into these groups and overcome the anxieties, the depressive factors, all of that stuff. It's that we eventually get to the point where we realize that the meaning of our existence does not center around this stuff. And you can look at it and say, oh, well, it's, it's just my same old, same old doing its thing. Um, I can deal with this. I've got techniques. They've taught me breath control. They've taught me how to banish and settle my mind down. I've been told various other techniques and visualizations that will help me get to a point where whatever's troubling me today is seen as a temporary obstruction. I think that's the key thing with a lot of so-called mental illness. The term itself makes me a little nervous. Um, people cannot get any perspective on it. It is that dark God within that seems to be ruining everything, running everything, spoiling everything, and preventing everything. Learning to recognize that it's a kind of a dark mirror image of what we in Philema we call the true will gives you the beginnings of insight that enables the, the internal reconfiguration to start happening bit by bit, month by month, and year by year. I think that's a really good point about uh, uh, the fact that, like, just the term mental illness can be deceptive because it creates that category where it's like, well, you either fall into this category or you fall into the category of mental wellness. And, uh, I mean, I've, I've spoken to a lot of people with, uh, mental illness issues, um, and it, it always strikes me as interesting that, uh, I can recognize, I mean, maybe I'm, you know, dealing with my own issues or whatever, but I can recognize a lot of the things that people talk about, and it sounds more to me that it's simply exaggerations in certain aspects of what we all kind of deal with mentally. Yeah, because when these things, and I'm just using anxiety and depression as two common forces, if you will, that operate in people, they take over. They, they say, hey, wait a second, you must be afraid, you must be nervous, you must be sad, this is sad. Um, they block communication. Joining a group is a way of learning to break that down. It's like we're all dealing with our own oddities and the fact that people tend to see us as pretty weird. <laughs> you need to get together with other weird people in order to overcome the sense of weird and realize there are different ways of looking at your own existence. But that doesn't mean that you're necessarily going to be able to take occultism and turn yourself into a happy, well-adjusted, productive human being as they, they say, you know, in all the self-help advertising. doesn't always work. Yeah, actually, uh, uh, something um, I remember hearing uh, suggested was uh, to try to have somebody who's not into the occult at all as somebody you can kind of talk to uh, about your experiences as well, just to put them in perspective in a little bit more of a grounded way in the sense of not just completely getting lost in, in the occult world. Definitely. And if you think of the, the training system using the tree of life, you start with the Sephira of Malkuth. The virtue of Malkuth is discrimination. 
you know, are these people actually able to teach me something and lead me out of my own inner jungle? Or are they just lost? And I agree with you, having somebody else you can talk to and just get a different perspective. That's very useful. But I've known people who've gone to skeptical friends who said after a year or so, you know, you seem different. You're, you're, you're less nervous than you used to be about offering your opinions. Um, you're more definite about what you want to do with your life. Hmm. But you need it from both angles, both to tell you, you know, you might be with a bunch of lunatics. And on the other hand, oh, this seems to be doing something for you. I mean, your measure of success is not just you conjured up the, the spirit in front of you in the invocation, but also that your life is starting to get a little more together. You've become a bit more accepting of difficult friends, difficult parents, difficult siblings. You've become a bit more patient with your own failings as a, a friend, a worker, or whatever. Those are the things that you sometimes need feedback on from someone who's outside of this weirdness you've gotten yourself into and can say, you know, what are you up to? There's something different about you. That's something that I think uh, um, comes to mind as well about getting involved with one of these kinds of groups is uh, it has to be questioned if there's the possibility of bringing yourself too far into, or I guess too far away from kind of a grounded mundane reality. Um, as well. I mean, I, ideally, in a situation where you're involved in an esoteric group, I think the ideal thing is that you have exactly what we're talking about, kind of a support system where you're talking, you have other people you can talk to about these things. You have uh, things you can be working through and people you can be working through them with to some extent. But I feel like these groups can also have a tendency to lose touch with uh, mundane reality to some extent. And I think it's, you know, for the advancement that you want to be making and the kind of, uh, you know, balance that you want to be putting yourself into, you need to have that engagement with the mundane reality as well. And maybe that doesn't get as much emphasis. I think it's always about bringing it down into the mundane reality, the mundane plane, the, as you'd say, Kabbalistically, the realm of Asiya, the realm of manifestation, is where stuff happens. This is where your real key experiences are going to occur, growing up, falling in love, falling out of love, having kids, having a career, having traveling, whatever it is, but it's going to be primarily on this physical plane. Um, anyone who's telling you that you need to take yourself out of it, away from it, unless it's for a specific period of retreat for a, a concentrated and specific effort um, is leading you astray. You need to stay in touch with family. You need your friends. You need your job. It's, you know, jobs are a wonderful way of paying the rent. And if magic is starting to get you out of that and you're giving up on pursuing normal mundane goals at the same time as you're trying to evolve your own spiritual perspective, then something has gone wrong. I also think that um, what I did when I started with this, I used to be with the Temple of Thelema for many years. Um, I decided that I was going to, at some point in my first two years, pull out and consider like what's going on. Have I got anywhere or was it just kind of a, a bunch of fantasists having fun? 
Um, and I did at a certain point say, okay, this is the moment to consider what I'm going to be doing, whether I want to stay with this. And my sense was definitely that I was getting to something, that I had less self-doubt, I had less self-criticism, that I could see a way forward in life that I didn't have previous to that. So I stayed with them for many years, um, till about a dozen years ago. And um, that's something that I think is important for everyone who gets into this to do. Have a plan to at some point review where we've gotten. Is it okay? You know, you, you discover the people in the group have certain abilities, but they're no, by no means super beings. You've got to make sure that whoever's running the thing is not a deluded nut job and doesn't have psychotic uh, tendencies. Some psychotic people are very good at masking that, so you do. <laughs> and just generally, is my life as a whole better? If your mundane life is falling apart, then whatever you're doing spiritually or what you think is spiritually uh, is not working. That's something, yeah, that's again something that I uh, um, I find interesting that you mentioned because that's something I've always found myself doing as well, stepping back once in a while to get some kind of objectivity, which I really do believe is important as well. And um, I mean, you know, sometimes people will say things like uh, when asked if they've ever second-guessed or questioned their commitment to Thelema, for instance, they'll say, uh, no, never, I've never questioned it, as if it's a point of pride. And I feel like that's a very odd thing to be proud of. Definitely, yeah. I mean, uh, if you have not questioned and thought, are we just a bunch of idiots <laughs> locked into a, a group delusion? If you haven't come to that question at some point, you're not doing this very intelligently because everything you're going to do in magic, you know, Crowley says, you know, skepticism is essential. Uh, make allowances for your doubting and, and, and doubt your own doubting, all of that. You, you've got to take it apart. You've got to deconstruct what you're into. If you have simply chosen a faith, well, if it works for you, okay, maybe, you know, you like to get together with these people once a month for a beer, fine, but you're not really getting anywhere in terms of discovering your true will and developing a deeper relationship with the totality of what a human life is meant to be about. So I, I've had several phases where I've thought maybe I should just quit this whole thing, um, couple of moments when I looked back at Christianity, which I was sort of kind of around years ago and thought, maybe they're right and we're wrong. Mm -hmm. And if you haven't done that, it, you're not doing Philema. <laughs> you need to stand there and think, where am I? I'm lost. Mm -hmm. And what that's, that's a moment when finally a new reality can begin to, to form, a new understanding can come through. But it's not because you go from step to step to step and realize all kinds of wonderful things and have you know, astral visions you never had before, it comes from breaking down the mental structures, the mental assumptions that you've always had so that something broader and subtler 
and ultimately more important can begin to come through. I think that's, yeah, that's on that subject of uh, being able to question, like, maybe X is, you know, there's more to it than I'm realizing, and maybe I'm wrong about what I'm doing. Um, I think that's a really important thing to explore, because, I mean, I, I think I think the difficulty people tend to have is that they're afraid that, you know, there's a, a certain amount of self-protection involved in trying to maintain your own barriers against, you know, something else. And that can be reasonable at the right times, but um, I feel like if you allow yourself to explore an idea, say, for instance, if you had questions about, well, maybe there's something to this Christianity thing, and I want to go back and take a look at that and actually engage with it. If you know, you know, you do that, you're not really under any threat from anything. And I think that's the thing that people tend to lose track of. There's a fear that you're going to get sucked into something else and out of what you're looking at. But the reality is, by engaging with something like Christianity from the point of view of a Thelemite, chances are you're just going to be more, you're going to have a clearer idea and a clearer picture of things, and you're not going to be sucked in, most likely, you know? You're going to... Yeah. Yeah, because you then get more perspective on a lot of the roots of Thelemic spirituality because you can see it, it's followed on from centuries of Christianity. And by Christianity, I wouldn't really mean the kind of Protestant uptight stuff that we see around us all the time. I'm talking about serious Christians, whether it might be C.S. Lewis or Thomas Aquinas, but I always find they're worth reading if only because I get to a point where I think, no, I don't mm. agree with what you do. And that's why I'm in Thelema, because I don't feel that I was born sinful. I don't feel that I'm essentially a being that needs to atone for his own badness. I can't make sense of that idea, however cleverly you phrased your way of saying that. Um, and, and now you've got a much better perspective on your own Thelemic uh, understanding. Mm -hmm. And I think a, 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 an important part of Thelema that Crowley talks about that people tend to forget about is that our path is to continually add to ourselves from the overall rest of the universe so that we're constantly moving outwards and adding to ourselves as opposed to trying to isolate ourselves from the rest of the universe. Yeah, I mean, if you look at the... Um, if, if, say, you were going into the AA, um, which is basically a solitary path with one teacher guiding you, um, you, there's a reading list for the student, which covers the whole field of Western philosophy, but a whole load of Eastern philosophy as well. And inevitably, you have to grapple with the same existential and ontological questions that any spiritual seeker with a Western mind needs to, to deal with, whether they're Christian or Thelemic. Uh, he just wanted people to be able to look at things from different angles and different perspectives. Are we enthusiastic? Are we skeptical? We can be both because there is ecstasy in Thelema as well as doubt and uh, endless questioning. Now, um, we are getting short on time, and just before, I would, I would hate to lose time before uh, bringing it back around to the idea of mental health again, and um, one thing that we didn't touch on was involved with these groups, uh, where, where is the line, or, or how, does, how do we 
look at a scenario where there's somebody with mental health issues that they're going through and the way that that can reflect or or affect the group in a negative way um there are various tactics to adopt depending on the problem the person is bringing in some people come in with a lot of anger and of course don't forget that any occult exercise brings out the stuff that's inside people who seem to be very docile can start becoming very insistent because that's what they brought in to deal with that's the secret the dark secret they want to be able to control other people bring in a depressive state that they've been masking with a rather sunny exterior um there's various things here obviously the head of the organization needs to put in place um chiefs or other deputies in the group who have some common sense and some experience of their own darker side their own shadow material so it's not just one person having to deal with the difficult individual um but you need to foster a climate where people can express the fact that you know i wish you would stop expressing anger at us all the time you know just so that that individual starts getting the mirrors a thing i've often said to students is during your training years you're not going to become much of a magician but you will discover your own inner jerk mm-hmm. in mind numbing detail that's important because when you've got a appreciation of how you are making your own life difficult you suddenly have a power of stepping back from those traits or checking them as they start to arise and um you have a lot more flexibility and as a magician you know you're going into your magic circle with a lot more mental flexibility to react to whatever comes up because when you do an invocation if it's successful weird stuff happens mm-hmm. you don't get exactly what was predicted you'll get partly what you were expecting and partly information or words or images that don't conform to your previous assumption you have to develop a flexibility of mind and if the group the occult group the order whatever it is the temple has this openness to discussing different perspectives and expressing different perspectives that i think can be a controlling factor when you have a difficult individual rarely it does happen the head of an order just has to say i'm sorry but i have to expel you or usually with the option of look you have to resign you're too disruptive but there's just a time when you know anyone running such an order has to remember they have a backbone and gavura is severity and that's part of the training and you have to step in and say this is not acceptable on that note um i'd like to thank you very much for uh being able to join me today and i hope we uh, are able to do this again not too long from now uh so thank you very much edward 93 okay many thank you for joining us look for toronto thelima on instagram facebook and youtube watch for events in the city and join us again in the darkly splendid abodes